All right, all right. We're back on the Fetch It podcast today. We're missing uh, my partner in crime, David Rosenbeck. I'm here with Lindsay Severt, um, who is a Airbnb short-term rental rock star, and she's going to get into a little bit how she, her story. Um, Lindsay, welcome. Why don't you tell a little bit the audience of who you are and how we met, and uh, let, let's just go from here. Sure thing. Thanks, Yanni. Uh, so Yanni and I actually met via HostCon um, originally in person. Uh, he did call me out of the blue one day first um, because so many people had been, you know, mentioning he was asking who he should talk to, who's involved in Raw Built's host camp. And uh, I guess I came up a few times. So he gave me a call and I think that we ended up talking for like over an hour um, so it was some about business and it got into life and we just, you know, recognize that we're definitely kindred spirits. So it was really great to finally meet him in Houston. I'm looking forward to seeing him again here in a couple of months, weeks. It's not even months anymore. Um, so that's going to be really exciting. Um, but for, as for myself and how I got into real estate, um, my dad gave me the bug. He flipped houses when I was really young. So I was always aware of real estate. Um, I knew that it was a great way to build wealth. I didn't know everything that I know now, but I at least had it on my radar from a very young age. Um, and I built, bought my first property uh, that was an investment property when I was 26 and during the pandemic. So I got in during that crazy time in March 2020. No one knew what was going on. It was insane. There were bidding wars everywhere. Um, but I got kind of lucky in that the appraisal still came in low because the appraiser hadn't caught up with what was going on. And so I was able to negotiate down my first house hack. Uh, if you're not familiar with house hacking, that means I, in my in instance, this was not a multifamily home. It was a single family home. Uh, so I moved into one room and then I rent out bedrooms to uh, other adults. So it's a great home share layout. We all have our own bathrooms. I think that minimizes 90% of the drama that could possibly come up when you're sharing a home with another adult. Um, so that was great. And that was my start. And then one year later, it was time to, you know, I, I knew that I had seasoned my conventional owner-occupied financing. And I was like, I'm ready to go do it again. Um, I had quit my first job during the pandemic um, outside of the army. It was actually my first civilian job. It was well-paying, but boring. Um, no offense to any male colleagues. They are what made it. So I, I, once I was out of the office, it wasn't worth going to the, it wasn't worth doing the job anymore. And I knew I needed to do something different. I wanted to do something more people oriented. I sales job fell on my lap. I knew that was not it for me, but I closed on the next house. And then my business partners and I decided let's just let's just let Lindsay go full time. Like she secured, she did the thing that you do with the W2 as an investor. She got the mortgage. It's time to go all in. And we went all in as soon as I bought my first STR. There's a lot to unpack there. That's an amazing story. Some of that I didn't even know. So before I ask my question, shout out to Rob Abasolo, Robilt on YouTube, on Instagram. We're a part of his community and we've learned a lot about short-term rentals as a result. Met and, and met each other at his uh, conference host con that we're both going to go to the second one in a few weeks. Um, tell me a little bit about the the first deal and what was challenging about it from what you remember. Obviously, I want to ask you about the army and I want to ask you about leaving the job. But sure. why don't we talk about that first deal because probably the emotions were very high on mm -hmm. that. So there's a lot of people that would listen and say like, you know, they want to learn a little bit about that first step. 
Sure. So I'll get into the the first house hack and the first STR because they both came with their own challenges. So um, the problem with the appraisal coming in low during 2020 was that I wasn't sure what was going to happen with the seller. I had already been in probably 10 to 15 bidding wars during that time. Uh, I was buying a home near um, Washington, D.C. by the westernmost airport. It's called the Dulles area. Um, so lots of people were leaving New York already at like the very beginning of the pandemic and they were coming out with tons of cash and buying these like homes and I was approved for up to like $600,000 at the time, but anything with a yard, I couldn't get into it. It was too desirable. So I ended up shifting to looking at more townhouses, even though it wasn't exactly what I needed, but I, I was just following the numbers. So I think that's really important. Um, even if you are going to occupy it for a while, if you look at it with less emotion and more as an investment, you're going to do a lot better in the long term. So um, the challenge there was getting through all the bidding wars, finding a home that met my criteria. I needed to be making enough money, you know, living in the home. I wanted to reduce my living expenses down to under a grand, which in that area, uh, living cost of living is very high. So that would have been excellent. Um, I did still have the job. I was, I didn't know I was going to be bored and quit my job yet because the pandemic was just starting. So I, I wanted to be able to commute about 15 minutes to work. So check that box, check the next box. The ensuite bathrooms are what really sold it for me. And I'm sure uh, David talks about this when it comes to doing MTRs, if he does any of them by the room. Because when you're renting to people by the room, if you want them to stick around for a while, they're going to want their own bathroom. Nobody wants to share a bathroom with someone they're not, you know, dating or in love with or related to. So um, that was a really big decision maker for me. The appraisal came in low. The lender was telling me, like, don't put in that 20K over at the appraised value, you're not gonna see it back, blah, blah, blah. And like, it was good advice based on what he knew at the time. However, it's the best decision I ever made. Um, I got in originally at 2.75 interest uh, on I borrowing about $425,000, which is a good chunk of change to borrow well below inflation. So we love free money. And uh, other people have been paying my mortgage pretty much the whole time I've owned it. It's also appraised, um, or not appraised, it's gone up in value. It's like, it's a lot. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm stuttering. It's just, it's increased in value over $100,000 and I haven't improved it at all. I have not done anything to it. It's just because of the zip code and where it is and the size of the home. Um, so that turned out to be really great. So I'm really glad I did not listen to that guy. Um, he was a really great lender. I loved working with him, uh, but he did not know, you know, what was coming. None of us did. So um, sometimes you just kind of have to stick to your buy box, even though, you know, someone else who's a professional and maybe, you know, with my first deal, I felt like he should, he would know so much more than me, but I just stuck to my analysis and stay true to the fact that like this was going to work for me even spending that cash i knew i would make it back very quickly i didn't know it was going to be that quickly but it worked out um and then in terms of the first short-term rental um there were some challenges there as well uh and i like this story because i had taken a significant pay cut i quit an engineering job and took a sales position with the intent to learn technology at a new company and then become a sales engineer for them and go above and beyond what I was making before. But to learn the technology, I had taken a significant pay cut, especially on my base, because a lot of my income was gonna be from commission. So uh, I didn't even think I could qualify for a mortgage because it just seemed 
like I was making so much less. I was like, I'm not really sure. But uh, I had Zillow searches out. I was still looking. I think you should always look. Even when you don't think you're in acquisition modes, you should still be in acquisition mode a little bit. Um, you know, let the universe tell you no. That's like the moral of this story. So uh, this little cute cottage popped up and I really liked it. It's really small, 500 square feet, had great acreage. They were selling the lot next door. That really intrigued me. And I wanted to do glamping. And I was like, man, this is like 10 minutes from Shenandoah National Park. And I was like, man, that's too bad. And then, uh, you know, I was going to the bathroom one day. And as all, all of us do, you know, Zillow is open. And they had done a price reduction. I was like, well, maybe I'll just go look at it. So I did naturally. And then I was like, well, maybe I'll just call a lender and let them tell me what I qualify for. And it was above the asking price. It wasn't enough to buy the lot next door though, in the same mortgage. So I had to figure that out, which was a challenge. Um, so that was my first time going and seeking out private money. So I ended up getting a private money loan and close on the lot second after I closed on the initial mortgage um, for the lot that had the existing home on it already. Um, so that ended up also being a really great deal. I'm super excited about it. The glamping did get shut down, so we can get into that kind of L. It's not really an L though, and I'll get into why, um, but I made a lot of money very quickly. The, the little cottage is still performing very well, and we're doing a home development on a lot next door. Um, with someone who's a pretty pretty big guy in, in real estate. So I'm pretty excited about that one. And I actually also bought another property next door to that one. Cause I was like, well, I, it's good to control property that is next door to yours. So I'm just gonna keep going, quite frankly, if, if people will keep selling their houses to me. Um, not all of them love short-term rentals, but that's okay. They don't have to. No. So I, there's so much to unpack. So you did a private money loan on this, on the lot that you did the glamping that got shut down. And so give me the, give me as much of the details as you remember of the private money loan for those that sure. um, are interested in learning how to, how did you get the private money loan? What were some of the basic terms? If you remember, um, that'd be awesome. And after that, we'll get into the, the fun. Yeah, the drama. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, um, as a lot of us do, it's very smart when you're first starting out to do, you know, your first investors are typically friends and family. So in this case, I, I don't come from a wealthy family, but we did have um, a family member who had owned a home for a pretty long time and she had two mortgages and wanted to consolidate it into one. So she's gonna end up with a surplus of cash. And um, my uncle actually helped facilitate it because with some of the money, uh, he built a pole barn for her, but she bought the materials for the pole barn with the money she pulled out. She also uh, had a much better payment because interest rates were so low. So her payment was better consolidating the two mortgages. It was something that she didn't really understand very well. So having that guidance from us during that period of time was super helpful for her. And then basically we just make her a mortgage payment every single month um, for the duration. I believe it was a four or five year loan. Um, she didn't want to, she didn't want to charge us interest. She was just so happy with the way everything worked out because it was favorable for everybody. It was like, well, we have to, otherwise it's not, it doesn't look right. Um, cause you do need to structure your private loans so that they don't smell bad to the IRS. So we have, you know, a promissory note with, at the time it was reasonable interest. So it was like it was 5%, which now it, I wish I could get 5% loans. Um, <laughs> but 
so that worked out really, really well. So keep in mind, like if someone in your family has owned owned their property for a while, you know, they may not understand what they're sitting on and you can actually help them help you and make have everybody come out on top and uh, come out very favorably in those situations. Yeah, that that's um, that's a really cool story. You got to leverage your resources and um, communicate to those people with those resources. Hey, like you, we might be able to help each other out. Um, so tell me a little bit about this is, should be a fun story. You set up this glamping site. You probably spent a lot of time setting it up, the deck, the bell tent, the whole nine yards, and it got shut down. I've actually never heard the full story, so okay. I'm ex- yeah, I haven't. Well, I've I, bits, but not the full yeah. story. So no problem. why don't you tell everybody a little bit about what, what went down? Sure. So I'll share a little bit about the success before I get into the, the eventual demise. Um, so... We set up um, two glamp sites. Uh, one we set up in the fall of 2021. It launched around the same time as my cottage. They're only about a hundred yards apart, uh, but they, the land is very, it's on a mountain. So it slopes. So there was a lot of vertical distance, which creates the illusion of a lot more space between those two spaces, uh, which was very nice. We also had a rock feature separating the two um, from the camper's perspective. So hardly anyone complained at all. Um, they really, really loved it. It, it had, it did very well on Airbnb. I think it got over two twenty thousand 20,000 wish ads. Like it was insane. Um, yeah. And it was busy, uh, more than I thought it was going to be the initial tent. Um, it even was doing pretty well during the winter. Like I sold every day in January of 2022, um, which I was not expecting at all. Like I wish I would have been expecting it because there probably were was a few things I would have done differently in terms of logistics for heating. <laughs> but um, I didn't know. I didn't know that that many crazy people were going to try to come out and stay in the woods. So um, yeah, it was great. And then we built another one a few months later. And that one was really cool. It has two levels of decks. So there's like a seating area on one deck underneath the other deck, um, which is awesome. Both sites cost me about $10,000 to set up. They had outdoor showers, which obviously were run seasonally. Um, They had wood stoves. And um, sometimes they were making more than my cottage on weekend nights. It was insane. Um, I loved it. And the guests loved it. I still get inquiries now of people asking me, like, what happened? Because they're looking for my tent to come stay again. And I'm, like, having to apologize and let them know. My neighbors... Uh, did not like what I was doing um, at all. And nothing had really come about until we started um, teasing out construction and we cleared an area to do like a perk test for another home because I have this lot that doesn't have a, a home on it. So I have a buy right use to build. And um, I guess they got scared that we were just going to like, I don't know, have like 60 RV sites back in this lot or something. I have no idea. And... Um, they kind of got up in arms. They sent some letters to each other that were very inflammatory, contained some things that were very not true. Um, and then that forced me to receive a letter from the county. Now, I thought I was doing okay because the way that it read, you were allowed to do one tent per area. If you had two or more, you're considered a campground. But I only had two, period, and I had one in each area because area was the synonymous with parcel. I own two parcels. Their lawyer went ahead and decided, well, since they're adjacent to each other, that is like to one area, 
And so therefore you are a campground and you are not able to be a campground in that zoning. So here's your violation notice. Um, the, I will give the county a lot of credit. They let me run out the existing bookings that I already had, which was very generous of them. Uh, they didn't have to do that. So I really appreciate that county for that during that period of time, because that would have been really, really hard. Um, and they also tried to give me an avenue forward. So I attempted rezoning. My neighbors were going to do it with me. The The other neighbors were getting more and more upset as the date got closer because they couldn't believe I was trying to rezone. Um, so the other neighbors felt they had spent too much political capital getting involved with me. So they pulled out of the rezoning application, which meant that I was then going to be an island for zoning, even though I'm directly across the street from agricultural zoning, which has the special uh, the ability to get a special use permit for a campground. Um, I don't touch it. There is another sliver of someone else's property um, bordering mine. So we were not approved. So let's just let's just pause for a second just to sure. give a little uh, um, teaching to, to people listening. So um, when getting into Airbnb or building anything, there are different lots of land in areas like this and areas throughout the country are designated for use for certain stuff. Now, if you ask a real estate investor, a lot of us would say it's complete BS. What What's the difference between one lot and another? And if you listen to Lindsay's story, you hear like directly across from agriculture. It's like, what's the difference between one lot and another? And they're right next to each other and they're not zoned the same way. So maybe you want to talk a little bit, you, you want to dig into that piece also, just touch it a little bit of how sure. like when you're looking at a piece of land, you know, how that influences the way you look at things now as a, as a more yeah. seasoned real estate investor. Yeah. Had I been looking at it now, I wouldn't have tried to approach it as well. It doesn't say I can't, so I can. I'm glad I did it at the time that I did. I think I learned everything that I needed to learn. I made the money I needed to make. Um, but now I'm approaching it very differently. So I'm going where I can do bigger operations um, with those permits all in place so that everything is completely 100% um, approved by the county. It's a very long process, typically. There are areas of the country where those processes aren't as long or they don't even have them. Uh, there are still some, you know, unrestricted, there is still unrestricted land here and there. Um, but keep in mind, whenever you're doing something like commercial and at scale, people are going to want they're cut. <laughs> so you're going to need to go and speak with these counties, let them know what you're doing, try to befriend them, learn their personalities, um, try to gain as much influence as you can. Um, I definitely think you should like read how to win friends and influence people before you go and have those conversations. Um, but once you do all that, you know, I would say don't do what I did, but like it worked. So do what you can handle, <laughs> but just keep in mind, you, you may get a nasty letter in the mail one day. Yeah. I think there's a lot to unpack with your story. I think you had a lot of courage to go, to go for it. I think that a lot of people listening, they, if it seems complicated, you see, she still made money, go for it. And you pick, you became very wise throughout the journey. You understand land, you understand how to deal with neighbors. You understand all these different pieces to find a unique piece of real estate. Why don't you tell a little bit, um, why don't you talk a little bit about like what your philosophy is towards short-term rentals and like the way you want it, you know, cause you and I, you know, we're in this together. Yeah. We're sort of um, classmates in this ish. Um, yeah. how, what, how do you, 
what's your what's your like short-term rental thesis thesis if somebody says to you like hey like how do i invest in short-term rentals do i buy in miami do i if I buy a condo in Miami, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just riffing, but yeah. like, how, how, how would you do it? The Lindsay, the Lindsay way, like how, like what's the Lindsay investment thesis to get an Airbnb? Like somebody just asked me this question this morning on what I would do, but I'm just curious, how would you boil it down? Well, I would tell them not to worry about what I would do and ask them what their goals are. And then based on their goals, then I would tell them what I would do. So I like to start. I guess I answer a lot of people's questions with questions, but I can't tell you exactly what is the best investment because I don't know what your goals are. For example, I'm sitting in a house hack right now that my partner bought um, because of some of my, you know, my influence and advice. So she wanted to live in an area where she could actually do her hobby. She was living in over where my other house is near DC and paying, you know, three grand or more in rent for one person you know, in order to have everything that she wanted. And she's like, this is dumb. Like, I can't even go and do most of what I want to do. She likes dirt biking and mountain biking and, you know, just playing in the dirt. <laughs> you can't, there's not a lot of trails over there. So she's like, why don't I move west? And I was like, I don't know. Why don't you? So then we evaluated that and Flagstaff is where we landed. Um, it's a great playground. The rental market does is not super high earning. The houses make about what mine does in Shenandoah, maybe a little more during holidays and such. Um, but the housing is more comparable in price to what we pay near DC. So you have to keep in mind, like this isn't a huge win cash flow market unless you bought it absolutely right or maybe you developed something. But we bought a new construction home that had an ADU. So we are able to live in this home and then have neighbors come next door and help pay the mortgage uh, and you know do the short-term rental thing just next door. And then when we're not here for part of the year, we'll rent out the big house too. And I think annualized uh, between both structures, she should earn enough to break even or at least have significantly reduced her living expenses from when she was living in DC. Now I have other friends you know, who they don't have any emotional ties to the area, you know, the, any area really, they, they don't care about it being somewhere they can go vacation for themselves. Although I do like to encourage people, like make sure you're buying somewhere you'd like to go because like this is something that you own that's an asset to you and your family for years to come. Um, but if you really don't care, like it depends on the market, but you know, I'm, I'm bullish on Shenandoah. And so I do encourage people to go there and if they want it to be passive to them, I have a team there so that they can they can work with us and you know own a cash flowing house and just kind of watch the money roll in. So your real estate is Arizona and Shenandoah Valley, um, which can be across a bunch of different counties. So for those listening, to that I guess that can loosely fall under uh, par the park the the rural park yes. market. And um, why don't you say a little bit about why you prefer that those short-term rental markets versus like a big city like yeah. some you know like a Fort Lauderdale or something like that yeah I kind of another question I like to ask people is who do you want to rent to instead of just where do you want to buy like what kind of person do you want visiting your homes I really like it, it's parks so I'm not far from you know Grand Canyon National Park from here it's a pretty easy drive over there it's Shenandoah National Park um, even I do have some real estate on the West Virginia side. So there's also state parks to take advantage of. Like we just closed on a motel near Seneca Rocks, which is great rock climbing area in West Virginia. Yeah. Um, so my avatar is like my guest avatar, the, the person I'm, I'm marketing my properties to are like outdoorsy 
people who want to stay somewhere nice. Maybe they aren't always too outdoorsy, you know, like that's why glamping's great. That was a great compromise for folks who want to go camping, but their partner has zero interest in camping. So then they're like, well, you can sleep on a memory foam bed, <laughs> you know? Um, so same thing with the cabins. It it's, gets you out in nature, but you know, you still have a lot of the comforts of home. So those are the people that I target and that's why I'm there versus the city. I don't want to deal with parties and you know a lot of big crowds i do have some bigger homes but it's usually like family not like huge groups of friends i'm not hosting a lot of bachelorette parties and things like that i don't really have the appetite for that some people do and they do really well at it i honestly just told someone last week like i don't want to host in a metro market myself however i do love how they appreciate i love how homes appreciate metro markets so i would buy it and arbitrage it i would totally be a, a arbitrage landlord one day um when i'm you know buying more properties um but that just kind of it you do what you're comfortable with and like that's what i'm comfortable with and what i'm happy doing and it's also where i want to go yeah that's awesome we're gonna pull on a couple threads um how many properties do you have right now and what the heck motel tell me everything <laughs> okay. right now <laughs> okay um, so currently, and I'm so sorry, I'm going to have to like count. Um, so I have 10 active listings. I have a couple of more clients coming on board. So I do manage for other people and for myself. I think four of the active rentals right now are mine. And then there's one in development, like a home, a very unique home. There is a boutique campground in development that's going to have at least 12 tent sites. And then um, the motel is currently six units, so we have plans for eight. And I'm not going to spill the beans too hard on what my what my idea is until I can release it to the public, because um, I do have other people involved, and it's it's an evolving plan. But we would like to increase it to eight units. Uh, but currently, it's like six units, all in a little row, very cute old motel. We're going to just elevate it and uh, market it to climbers primarily. Um, so. That's who's visiting Seneca Rocks, and uh, we're hoping to sell lots of swag and all kinds of cool stuff and make it its own little brand. So that's going to be like, I'm going to very rapidly have over 20 active units very quickly. You're such a beast. Oh, my God. Okay. Um, I have a feeling that motel is going to go viral on social media. I'm excited. I'm excited to uh, to see that. Um Okay, so we got into how you got into real estate, your professional job. You went, you've gone from the army to W two, and, um, and now into many many units. What like if if you had to like create a vision board? Maybe you have one already. Like what like what do you want to what do you want to have in two three four five years? Like what what it. And from a real estate perspective, maybe not where you're hanging out. I would assume that you have full time freedom at that point, and that yeah. you're, you know, either on an island or hiking or whatever <laughs> something. But what, like, what's the kind of what's the kind of real estate that you're kind of like? Yeah, I'm going to do that, no doubt. Yeah. So I have, so I have the management company. So that's kind of an important part. I don't want to be as active in that in five years. I don't want my fam, my family, and I work together. I don't want them as active in it. We're building out a staff. Um, so I have an operations manager and she wants to become a true partner in our business. So she would be upgraded to being like a director and then eventually probably what would be considered a VP. Um, and I wouldn't even mind making her CEO one day, you know, 
Cody Sanchez style where I'm just like, I'm a board member. Just tell me how it's going. Um, because I think she's that bright and talented and I hope she listens to this. Um, thank you, Sadie. So one day I would love for that to happen. I think her and I are going to evolve this into a seven figure business. And then I'm just going to be like, all right, have fun kid. And I'll just watch it happen. And then that makes my rentals passive for me because my rentals will be managed by my own company, um, which was part of why I started it because I don't want to be answering phone calls, you know, at 11 o'clock at night forever when people are lost because they didn't read. Um, I do not always want to have to do that. I would like to pass that baton along and focus on just deals. And eventually I would like to, and maybe less eventually than I'm thinking, like I want to start doing funds. Uh, I, I want to go full Brandon Turner and turn my property group into a capital group and do really big investments and whatever that means and whatever I decide I want that to look like for me. Um, I am involved with a couple of other host campers looking at um, RV parks. So if that goes really well, I may be investing a lot more time in that. Um, I'm sitting on the improvement and creative uh, and construction side. So trying to, you know, make them sexier based on my glamping experience and trying to figure out how to help them improve those to make more money. And um, also like not get totally screwed over by contractors as we we know is a thing. So um, I guess the answer is uh, I'm going the David Turner route or Brandon Turner route. Wow, I really combined the two, the, the bigger pockets hosts. They're one person. Um, so, but more of a Brandon route because I don't really want to start a brokerage or a loan, like a loan company. Um, I say that now, but watch me in three years saying something totally different. Um, so yeah, I want to grow into a capital group. I want to chase the numbers go from just real estate to, you know, being a private equity kid. That's awesome. Um, what, why are you an entrepreneur? Why did you, like a lot of people, they're just, you know, most people in the world are just going, they're, they're resume stacking. So yeah, not a lot of people like really go for it and are very intentional about it. It's like, what's your strong why? So, um, I would have to say it's my family. Um, I was doing well in, in, I could have climbed the ladder and been very comfortable, but I didn't see how I could, you know, retire with the way that inflation and, you know, the housing costs has gone up. Like I could make an okay life for myself and probably, you know, a wife and some kids, but how would I then also take care of my family, my immediate family and beyond, um, who, you know, got me to be the person that I am today. And I've known for a while, uh, since my dad's business went under during the, the recession that I was probably going to have to help them out when, in, in terms of figuring out their retirement. So this seemed like a really good avenue to build wealth. I just realized like, I can't, I can't go get a second engineering job. Like it only, it's going to, it's going to tap out eventually. I can only go so far with it and only so fast. That was the other thing. I did not like the constraints of the climbing the corporate ladder and how long it can take. And, you know, then you're playing politics and there's other politics in this, but it's, it's very different. If you can go buy an asset and you're giving yourself a raise whenever you say that you are, that's really as simple as it is. So I, I wanted to just give myself all of the raises all the time. So that's what I'm doing so that I can, you know, and my dad came to work with me and, and not for me, with me, like he's a true partner in this. 
And so now it's not just me figuring out like, how do I make enough money to retire my parents? It's how do we make enough money for all of us to be wealthy and, you know, spend their, their golden years in Hawaii and stuff. <laughs> yeah. I love what you just said. First of all, that's beautiful. Um, Thank you. thank you for sharing that. Um, I'm sure if they listen, they'll cry, uh, in a good Well, way. I've heard it before. Um, I think I love what you just said about minimal politics because your politics are managing contractors in the county. And when <laughs> it, it, it's, it's annoying and it, there's an art to it, but it's not, um, it's not like scratching the chalkboard annoying, you know, <laughs> it's not like no. dealing No. with someone you hate or think is, or you think, um, are incompetent. You just have to, um, With, with no real true ultimate payoff. When you're dealing with the county, your permit's around the corner. You know, when you're dealing with a contractor, your house is almost built. So, which is, there's your freedom. And then, you know, depending on your cash flows, how much you, you know, you want to live on, on the property. So um, I really, I think that was like a very beautiful answer. It might be the most beautiful answer we've ever had. So thanks for sharing. Um, I feel similarly. So that's probably why it resonated with me so much. Um, if you don't mind, I would like to get into some, uh, like personal ish questions, um, and th th that sort of people can take action on. And, um, and we ask this for, to, from, from every guest, David loves asking, um, but he's on a plane today, so he couldn't join. I know he really wanted to join. Um, so let's start with one. So. Obviously, I'm sure this answer fluctuated from when you started to now with the motel, um, all the way up to the motel. But I would say uh, my, my question is, is there anybody that you that you're learning from a lot that you, you could either as a resource online or as like a mentor in real life that you are um, actively learning from that the things they're saying are relatable to your current stage and you're taking action on it? Um, and if so, who who would that person be? Um, Okay. Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah. Um, that's tough. I think that, you know, I, I do a lot of what a lot of us do. I listen to a lot of podcasts, you know, I engage in a lot of the Facebook groups. Um, so I'm actually doing a lot of coaching. I coach with Rob Bill's host camp, but, um, I think what's really solidified, you know, in terms of mentors, it's kind of goes back to what you were just saying, um, and how, you know, the politics are different. This is like a zero sum game. We all can win. And I think it's so collaborative and that's why I love real estate so much. So um, I don't know that there's one specific person that I could say is like really like my torch right now that I'm, I'm flying towards, but it's kind of like everybody I talk to, I learn things from, you know, and I impart things to them and it just feels good. <laughs> and um, you know, it just keeps me going, keeps me motivated. Uh, I do want to give a shout out. I have a business coach. Um, his name's Gary Stewart. He's excellent. Um, so I like him because uh, it's so funny. He's not a real estate guy. He also, he's a Dave Ramsey guy, which, you know, in real estate, we're like all about leverage, but he makes me think differently. He always challenges my assumptions, which I think is why it's good to have him in my corner versus just everybody who's involved in real estate because we're all doing things the same way. And he's just coming from a business background, like just general good business practices and being like, what about this? And like, 
I'm sorry, but none of us would ever come up with half of what he says because it, we're just, you know, so focused on what we've all learned from those podcasts and everything and on repetition. Um, so, I, yeah, I guess Gary. I got to go with Gary. It's great to have somebody to talk to that you're not just taking a podcast as Bible because the podcasts are like, you know, you're, you're consuming it, you're consuming it. But, you know, having a business coach, I think that's amazing. Not a lot of people have that. Speaking of podcasts, shout out to Gary, if you're listening. Um, <laughs> speaking of podcasts, um, do you have a favorite podcast or book or both okay. that you would recommend? Um, I always love this people's answer on this. Yeah, so let's think. I want to go with the non-obvious answer here. Um, but I've been so bad. I've been... I mean, I listen to a lot of bigger pockets, like we all do. Like it's just true. Um, and then I do occasionally. I'll look up Cody Sanchez's name and I'll listen to any podcast that she's been on. And I have to shout out Brandon Turner once again because if you're not familiar, he did just start a new podcast. Um, so he's no longer with Bigger Pockets, and he started the Better Life Tribe, and he has a Better Life podcast. So that's what I've been consuming mostly lately, and I love it. It's so good. Um, I, I'm going to steal every idea that he has basically. Like I want to create the kind of community he's creating right now. Um, I love who he's interviewing. I love what they're talking about. And then book wise, um, I continuously tell people to go read who, not how, um, over and over and over again and read it over again. Once you've read it before, once, like listen to it and read it. Uh, maybe at the same time, because I think that um, there's a lot of valuable information there. And also the Audible version has some interviews with Dan Sullivan that aren't, I don't think are in the book, if you just read the the written copy. Um, and those were very informative and really changed my perspective. And I think they're part of why I've been, you know, so comfortable with kind of this path that we have towards handing the reins off to someone else. So, So what's like the one thing you got from that book that you feel like resonated in your mind i mean really it they hit you over the head with the message but just you need to evaluate what you should not be doing yourself so i'm constantly going and looking at my list and being like Lindsay, you're sucking like half of this does not require your creative input you need to give this to someone else um so i don't think i would be doing that so effectively um and not to say I'm doing it super effectively, like I'm still having those items come up on my list, but at least I'm thinking about it and planning for, you know, how I'm going to grow, you know, a staff and pass off those things to other people. I love that. I love that. It's something that we all have to think about more and more often because you don't want to trade your time for money fundamentally. Um, that's beautiful. Um, okay, cool. So I think that reading these books, I think it'll be part of people changing their, their mindset into thinking the way, you know, like the Brandon Turner's think, the people that we look up to. Tell me out of all the deals that you've done, you could even include, it could be man, a management deal, whatever you want. What is the, your favorite? Maybe it's your, you know, the favorite one of all, it could be the best deal you've done that you're like, oh yeah, that, that was the one. I, all of them have been pretty different, um, but I think my favorite has to be my latest deal that is one that like my company owns 100%, and I almost, <laughs> I was telling them, I was like, I'm going to get a partner because uh, 
we took out hard money. Um, so thankfully we had built a relationship with someone who had the ability to lend to us. And I was like, I was certain we were going to maybe do an acquisition way later in this year. Like not even now, like we may have started looking now, but this was like springtime and that home that came up for sale next to my other property, we knew that they were going to eventually sell. We had talked to the owners before we said, please let us know. Like we would love to buy it. It's also adorable. It has, it's right up on the, like the top of this well, almost the top of this ridge, you can see, you know, for miles, there's, you can see the ski resort that people like to visit in the area. We watch, and it's facing west. You can watch the sun go down from the front porch. So we had to have it, but we didn't know how. So I guess we had to ask ourselves who instead of how. And that answer was this person we built a relationship with and we structured a deal very quickly. And so we were able to offer on the home like, like cash, you know. Uh, there wasn't an appraisal needed. Uh, it escalated heavily. I like, when I told them, please, please let me know when you're going to sell it. I meant before you list it. They had the listing agent call me like two days after they listed it. I had already seen it. So I was like, thanks for nothing. Uh, he was great though. He was a really good guy, but they knew what they were doing. And I, I don't blame them at all. Like they have to get every dollar they can out of your house. That's what you do. Um, so they listed it like 160. It was cheap. So everybody's looking at it. It escalated up to twenty eleven five hundred, so two hundred thousand eleven five hundred. Like ugh, so much of an escalation. I was like, I don't know if this thing's gonna ever appraise, but like whatever, I don't care. Let's go. So we played hardball. We won. We came out of all that bidding war on top. Yeah. Well, yeah, because it was the hard loan. So we yeah, it yeah. played it played like cash. So they were super happy with that. Um, my were dad's basically at home. No. A little. I wasn't until we had to start also buying all the furniture. So, you know, like, and so then we have this hard money loan. We're spending all this money. And then I'm like, all right, we're like halfway through the loan period. What's going on? So yeah, I'm lying. I wasn't scared at first. I was scared like four months in. And I'm like, I don't want this hard money loan anymore. I hate paying interest only payments. This sucks. Like, let's go find a partner. Let's pull out all our money. And my, my dad and my uncle were like, no. And I was like, all right, well, find me, find us something better. And I will stop fronting, like putting this deal in front of people to potentially partner. And they said, cool. So they went and figured it out. Um, and we were able to get a loan. Uh, it was not a cash out, but we did appraise for 250. So we were able to, you know, pay David or pay our lender off, um, very, very easily and walk away. Uh, very, very happy knowing that we've got equity in the house already. And, you know, it launched and it's already, it's getting like bookings left and right. So it's doing great. And um, I'm really, really happy with that deal. Um, and I'm glad that they, this, that's another reason why it's good to have partners because um, I got scared and they, they didn't let me make a decision out of fear. That's an awesome story. How, um, If somebody has never done a hard money loan and they want to find someone they can trust, how would you recommend, you said you networked and found one, how would you recommend they go about it? Because a lot, you know, these are, this is money that you don't have and you're going to access it, which is cool, but people be nervous. It's like, if you mishandle it, you're underwater. Yeah. I'd say don't seek this out for your first deal ever. I think it's way too risky. Um, and also like 
good luck getting someone to give it to you when you don't have a track record. Um, we did, we, you know, we'd already done a lot of business with this person in other ways. So, um, it wasn't, it was not a stretch for them at all. And, um, basically just tell everyone what you do and then try to like, see who has money in, you know, in your corner. And even if they aren't actively lending, we happen to know that this person was, uh, actively lending, but you know, um, was it Amy Majori that was at HostCon last time? She's all about private money. You, they don't need to be an active lender to get interested in lending. You can be the first person who hooks them up with the idea. And like now half my friends that, you know, have good jobs. I have a lot of friends that work in tech. They're like, I've lend you money, you know? So like, we're getting to that point where I'm not going to be really doing joint ventures so much. I don't think, I think I'm mostly going to do debt only partnerships where they just give me money. I pay them back. And then I own everything. That 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 feels clean. Um, yeah. th that feels really clean. Uh, we're we're gonna geek out about that in the future together. Okay. Um, w would you? Do you have a? Would you ever do a hard money loan on a, on a glamping type unit or something that? And again, I and I, we didn't ask about a pra a pra how appraisals work on glamping. Maybe we probably should have done that. But on and if so, if I make a mistake on this, just forgive me. But or on something like a structure with a foundation that appraises, like um, what do you do a hard money loan on? Because I don't want people to get confused when we talked about glamping at the beginning. They might yeah. they might mix the two together. So I just want to make sure that we're super clear on that message. Happy to clarify that. So, again, part of why I was scared is this was a small house. So when you only have so much square footage, you only have so much room to like add value um, because it has to comp. So that's why I was so nervous on that, that little house, but it ended up doing really well. For glamping, um, you need to do it, you, technically you cannot get like an SBA loan for real estate, but if it's a business and it's commercial enough, you can. So campgrounds, it's more like a small business loan. So that's a whole different ball game. And I am actually working with other people who know more than I do who've been involved in commercial real estate. I'm just like, just now being like, how the heck does this work? Like I know with my, with the motel, you know, I brought in capital investors, they bought it, I own it with them. They bought it in cash. We're like, all right, should we go get a mortgage now? Or should we wait till we have income and then get them like, get it evaluated like a business and borrow against the business to do a cash out? We think we're probably going to do the latter depending on, you know, how long it needs to season and you know what kind of um, NOI we're coming up with. Um, so the, whatever the net operating income is, like that's gonna kind of inform what the value of the motel is. And I think glamping, it's, if you do it like I'm doing it, where I'm setting up a campground, it's evaluated the same way. It's evaluated off of you know how much income is it bringing in? What's the revenue? And that, that speaks to the, uh, in addition to like the assets that are owned in the business, so like, decks and tents and this particular one we're doing is going to have a, a hard structure bathhouse that's like connected to either septic or city um we're not really sure yet because the city's teasing running um utilities out there which would be great um potentially depending on the timing so um yeah it's more like a business but you have to do it at a scale where it is a business you can't just do like one tent in your backyard and go get some crazy loan you could probably get a private loan a small one from somebody you know, and structure it however you want. Like, like my first one where, you know, it's just a promissory note. You guys come up with whatever terms you guys are both happy with. 
as long as it, you know, will make the IRS happy when you show them the promissory note, they ask where you got all that money from, and you move on with your life. Um, so it depends on the scale, but it's more commercial. That is super cool. I had no idea that you can do an SBA on that. That's that's um, legendary, um, or <laughs> that's unbelievable. Um, and then you treat those things like assets. That's that's crazy. Um, this is the question we usually wrap with. Um, what is the biggest challenge in your business now, and how might the audience be able to help you with that? Okay. Slash and. Where can they find you? How can they reach out to you? Sure. So I think like most of us, so I'm in like year two. Um, I need more money. <laughs> so I need to increase my revenue. It'd also be great to increase, you know, the potential capital partners that I, I'm seeking out. Um, I'm looking at giving people like 12% returns on money. So if anyone wants to talk to me about that, um, my business that does management, if you want to also just, if you're really interested in the numbers I'm talking about and want to buy a home in Shenandoah, um, I have shenandoahostservices.com is my website and there is a contact form there. Uh, you can also find us on Instagram, same name, Shenandoah Host Services. You can follow my private, my personal Instagram if you'd like to see what I'm up to. Um, that's Lynchy, L-I-N-D-S-H-E-E. Um, and, uh, I'm pretty responsive on there, honestly. Instagram's probably the best way to get a hold of me because <laughs> red receipts, you know, accountability. Yeah, for sure. Instagram is the is the what is the modern day yellow pages. For real estate um, investors, it's it's our business card. I think really. Totally, I totally agree. Yeah. Um, this was awesome. Um, I really appreciated you coming on. I think this was a very unique. Not a lot of people can speak about glamping all the way through motels. Um, so on Airbnb, so I think it's very, very special. Um, this was a, another episode of the Fetch It podcast with the rock star, Lindsay. Uh, you know where to find her. And um, if you have any questions, shoot her, shoot her a DM. And uh, this was awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you.